Today we're talking about you, God, and money. You go, oh, why are they talking about that? Ben Franklin, one of the founders of our country, wrote a poem. He says, oh, money, you think you're so holy, for you go out so fast, but come in so slowly. <laughs> you ever know what that like? They say, where did it all go? All of a sudden, what you had in is gone. Would you, would you turn in your Bibles? I want to have you go to two different verses of Scripture. Put one and then hold the other. It's going to be Proverbs, the 30th chapter, verse 7. And then hold your finger there, and we're also going to go to 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Proverbs 37 and 2 Corinthians 9, 6. While you're doing that, just to review last week, Pastor Nick Godshaw from Summit um, did a teaching and kind of set the stage on what this series is. This is a three-part series, and he laid some of the biblical foundation last week. I'm going to dive a little bit deeper today on um, some of the practical applications of what it means as a Christian uh, walking today and, and how we view money. And then next week, Pastor Carter is going to conclude the series um, on, on giving and, and uh, the habits, the good habits that you need to pick up. So you certainly don't want to miss our senior pastor uh, next week. We're also, as a church, in the middle of Pass the Baton. Um, and we've been doing a generational study on what that's been meaning. And I couldn't help but think about in preparing for this, about getting the baton passed to me. On my 55th birthday, I get a call from my dear mother, and she goes, it's your birthday, come take me to breakfast. <laughs> so I knew where we were going. We're gonna go to my mom's favorite place to have breakfast, and it's the International House of Pancakes, IHOP. And so we, we go to, we go to IHOP, and of course, I'm a baby boomer, and, and you know my mother and grandparents were, they came out of the Depression and, and World War II, and they knew how to take a, a penny and stretch it, and a potato peeling and stretch it. They just knew how to make something stretch. So we sit down at IHOP, and she looks at me, and she goes, sweetie, you know I love you. I said, yeah, Mom, I know you love me. She goes, and you know I'll always try to guide you in the right way. I said, of course. Now I'm thinking, my mom has got something going on. And I'll do my best, certainly. But I want you to let you know that today is your 55th birthday. And at IHOP, you now qualify for the Rudy Tootie Fresh and Fruity. <laughs> you get $2 off. Happy birthday, son. But mom, I don't want the Rudy Tootie. I don't like the Rudy Tootie. I know you liked it when you turned 55, but I don't want the Rudy Tootie. And she summoned the waitress over and she goes, today is my son's birthday. He doesn't want the Rudy Tootie. But being that it is his birthday, I'm sure you'll give him the same $2 off on whatever he orders, correct? <laughs> of course, the waitress says, well, yeah, sure, whatever. And I'm looking at this, I, I can't believe my mom's doing this. And she goes, you're a sales guy. You should, of all people, recognize the value of getting somebody to say yes. So we just got him to say yes, and I just created an extra $2 for her tip. Happy birthday. Be generous. <laughs> so that was my introduction into the IHOP Rudy Tootie Fresh and Fruity. 
to make sure that I take the $2 I saved and put it in the tip bucket. We're going to talk about that as we get through and we talk about uh, prosperity. I'm also going to be talking about two extremes. And we look at the scripture that I just pointed out to you. Um, First of all, in, in Proverbs, the 30th chapter, it says, Oh God, I beg two favors of you. First, help me never to tell a lie. This is from the the New Living Translation. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. So that is the baseline. Give me enough to satisfy my needs. Not poverty nor riches. Give me enough of what I need. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I'm poor, I may steal and insult God's holy name. And then if you look at 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and this, I, I like this particular verse out of the, the New International Version. And Paul, as he's writing this, he says, remember this, and he's describing a spiritual law that is in effect. It says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now in the extremes, one is riches and the other one is lack of riches is if you, if you, if you're rich, you have a tendency to want to disown God. You may forget the Lord, but if you're poor and you do things that aren't godly, then you wind up dishonoring. So in the extremes, one is you can disown God. The other is that you can dishonor God. And so as I look at this, and, and, and experiences over the years, I want to find out what does the Bible say about where am I supposed to be? If he says, don't give me poverty or riches, then where is the ground that I'm supposed to be? The law of reaping and sowing is just like every other law that God has put into, into effect. The spiritual side of it is that it's basically saying that if you're generous, God will give you back generosity. If, you're, if you have a spirit of generosity, This is not necessarily about money. This is about the attitude of the heart as a Christian who is now born again and has the nature of God living in us. So the spiritual law that gets into effect begins to teach us. And so I want you to think about what Proverbs says and what Paul says in 2 Corinthians as we get through this next point. And the first point I want to make is I want to talk about the the prosperity theology or the prosperity doctrine. It could be some cases it's called the prosperity gospel. It's called many things, but it actually is taking an extreme view and can be dangerous to your spiritual health. God is not a slot machine. And there are some teachings out in the body of Christ. I've seen them a lot. I've seen the the articles or I've seen YouTubes or, um, you know, you get kind of a, uh, I think a twisted view of sometimes what prosperity means. And, and it's like this, it's a give to get mentality. I'm learning that if I, yeah, if I give it generously, I'm going to get back generously. It's almost a willingness to take a, a perverted view of what God really means in the scripture so that we can get what we want. So the, the prosperity mentality actually leads to spiritual amnesia. It's a tendency to forget And what I want to read for you, you don't have to turn there. I want to read a a, a verse of scripture that Moses, when when he is in Deuteronomy and he's cautioning the people and he's saying that you shall remember the Lord your God. This is Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter. 
You shall remember the Lord, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. Then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God, and follow other gods, and serve them, worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. So Moses is saying that, that I give you the power to create an income. I give you the ability to work. I give you health. I give you favor on a job, or I may open a door for you to get uh, income. Don't forget God. Don't, don't get spiritual amnesia. And that's what, if we focus on just trying to get wealthier or get rich or find out these schemes that is going to just bring more money into the till, then we wind up getting caught in the trap where Paul was saying to Timothy that the love of money is, is a root of all evil. It's not the root of all evil, but it is a root and it's a significant root, the love of money, because what it does, it begins to take you off of the, the biblical definition of what God wants in our lives and puts you over in the extreme. And all of a sudden you're being gauged or judged by what you have, not what your relationship necessarily is with God. And we want to talk about that in, in just a moment. It can lead to spiritual amnesia because the pursuit of wealth is all about self. The pursuit is not necessarily about your walk with God. It's pursuing wealth. And in fact, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, he said, whoever loves money never has money enough. It's insatiable. It's like fire breathing oxygen. It just keeps destroying everything in its path. So if, you're, if we're truly just after the wealth side of it, we're never gonna be satisfied. I grew up in an industry where I saw people who were tremendously wealthy, enormous wealth, never satisfied. They always wanted more, always wanted more. They weren't worried about putting food on the table or keeping the lights on, they just wanted more. And it was a lesson I began to learn. I go, wow, this is true, the Bible is true when it talks about these things. It changes the priorities in your life and it sets you up for what I consider to be one of the first lies of the prosperity theology. And that is, the more I have, the more I can give to God's work. Isn't that convenient? Well, I just go out there and work harder and make more because the more I have, the more I can actually give to the, to the work of the kingdom. Let's test that. Let's just test to see what happens. Remember in Proverbs, it talks about this, this baseline. Don't give me poverty nor riches. Just give me what I need. So if all of a sudden, if that's where you're really believing, and then, all of a, and then you get an inheritance, maybe get a settlement. I'm not talking about you hit the lottery. But God gives you something. Now, what do you do with that? The moment you hesitate and not do what God has called you to do with the increase, you've fallen into the trap. The trap has been sprung. And now you get, you get caught up in it. And so what happens is that now it makes more sense. I've been there. I've been there when you say, wow, this is really good. Maybe I can now get this, or maybe we can get this. We've needed that. Maybe I can do this. And the spiritual amnesia kicks in, where the word of God is true, where we don't want to forget the Lord. So if that occurs then 
it makes more sense about what Solomon says that for if, you, if that's your pursuit, you'll never have enough. It just won't happen as the word of God. The rich young ruler, and there's the story in three different gospels. It's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It talks about this, this rich young man comes up to, to Jesus. And, and I love the, the, the book of Mark's version of it because it says that he ran up to Jesus, fell on his knees, and says, Master, what do I need to do to obtain eternal life? And Jesus laid out for him. Basically, he quoted what the, the commandments were. And he goes, I've done all that. I've done it from my youth. He said, then go sell all you have, give to the poor, and come and follow me. And the, 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 the Gospel of Mark says that he left afflicted with sorrow. Some say it was sad, but the word sad, it just means that he, was, he had great emotional pain. Emotional pain. So it says where you, wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure is, right? And where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So he was a rich young ruler. That was his focus in life. And now all of a sudden he's trying to be religious and say, what must I do to obtain eternal life? Jesus was simply addressing this man. I think in the book of Luke, it says, Jesus looked upon him and loved him. He loved him. Because he knew that there was an opportunity for him to get set free and not get captivated by something that is fleeting. Riches are fleeting, folks. It's subject to things that you don't control. But we want to talk about this, the spiritual side of it and see where, where we can, can we be tested in the heart. And so what, once the trap has been sprung and you say, if the more I have, the more I can give to God's house, you're wide open for what I think is lie number two. I'm a child of the king. Therefore, I should have it and I'm entitled to it. How often you heard that one? Well, I'm a child of the king. I deserve his provision, his protection. All of these things, I'm entitled to this. Somebody approached me on that one day. I said, well, that's interesting because the same king that you're saying that you're a child of is the one who made himself of no reputation. He wasn't after the wealth. This is Jesus Christ, the son of God. He owns everything. There's nothing he can't have but he made himself of no reputation. Many believe, and this will be the primary point I want to make here, that health, wealth, and the accumulation of stuff is a sign that you're spiritually healthy. And there's some out there that are spreading that. There's some out there that are taking the body of Christ down a path it says, if you don't have health, wealth, and all this stuff, then it could be that you have a problem. You could have a problem spiritually. My question back is, if I really believe that, then what am I doing to, to put, am I putting other condemnation on those who don't have it? Through no fault of their own. There's no sin in their life. There's no issue. They just happen to be in a struggle. But that kind of attitude, while it may be beneficial to some, I think breeds condemnation to others. And what Jesus is trying to get at, especially with the rich young ruler, was saying, where's your heart? I don't care about your wealth. I want to know where your heart is, and are you willing to do that? By the way, when I became a Christian, there were things I wanted. I still want. Sometimes Christianity lets me justify what I want. 
and say, I'm a child of the king and therefore I deserve it and I'm entitled to it. And that is, I'm asking even in my own life as, as I move forward and studying things like this, God help me in this. Help me to make sure that I look at it in the right way. And I'm asking and I'm deploring you today to look at this in the right way and let God open up your eyes. Here's the challenge. When you honor God and do what he has given you to do and he honors back, do the right thing. Just do the right thing. Don't hesitate on it. Don't let the trap even begin to be sprung. When, when you honor God, as God has given instruction to do, and that's what we're going to talk about, and I know it's going to be covered next week as well. When, when you honor God, and God turns around and honors you back, just do the right thing. And it begins the cycle. It begins to build new muscles new spiritual muscles, new discipline in your life that maybe you didn't have before. And what happens is that God's protection, his provision, his blessing does come on your life. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that. So when you honor God with your tithe and he honors you back, do the right thing. The flip side of this whole discussion is the poverty theology. You don't hear as much about that, but I'm, I'm familiar with that one as well. I, I, when I first got saved, I got into a church that 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 was kind of a basic uh, part of, their, of the doctrine was that you can't have anything. You shouldn't have anything. And it was a view that was also extreme because it can pervert scripture. It can take the very same scripture about the rich young ruler and say, therefore, I have to sell everything and be poor. And there were those out there that were actually promoting that kind of... Uh, a gospel. The big, the big difference in wanting to be poor and being poor is enormous. And I've had, I've had experiences with, when both, there are times that those who want to be poor can't be helped. When you want to be poor, I've seen this firsthand when good people that I've known, good friends that I've known have believed that by, by, embracing this, 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 this first lie that simply says, I have to become poor and stay poor to help those who are poor. That's almost like saying to somebody that has a drinking problem that I need to go into the bar so I can witness to people drinking. <laughs> but you have a drinking problem. You don't do that. And so this, but this, 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 this attitude comes in that says, I have to be poor I have to sell everything I have. I can't have anything so that I can minister to those that are poor. And that becomes a subtlety. It becomes a subtle trap that gets people into this cycle that's just the opposite of prosperity, but just as deadly, just as uh, extreme, because it's an extreme perversion of what the Bible is trying to teach us about taking care of the poor, taking care of those in need. I had a, a good friend of mine who we went to church with when I first got saved, he believed that every penny that he got from his paycheck had to be go toward Bible tracks. Every penny. He had two children. And so every week when he got paid, it was an issue of, I have to be poor. It was almost a, a self-flagellation. It was almost this, this self-penalty 
that I have to be poor in order to be like Christ and I'm gonna give everything I have to share the gospel. And his family suffered enormously for that. They lived on popcorn and Pop-Tarts. That's true. I mean, we, we had to do like, you know, I didn't know it was called an intervention back then, but we went over and I said, brother, we, you need help. You can't be doing this. You can't, you have a family to support. And so you begin to look at all the different scriptures about what it means to take care of your family and do the right thing as well. So just as, as prosperity on one side can be um, aggressive in terms of its extreme and take people into a different way that God intended, the same can be true over here. And, the, and it feeds into the second lie, which says, the, the less I have, the more like Christ I am. And it's almost this, this depletion of resources, this depletion of your self-image and, and who you are in God that says, I don't deserve it. Therefore, I don't want it. I would submit to you that I've known people that they struggle with their resources because it's easier. It's easier not to have to do anything than it is to let somebody else try to take care of you. Now, don't, don't confuse that for somebody who was struggling. I know what happens when you reach out and you give a helping hand to somebody who needs a helping hand. They're thankful. They are thankful. And I've been in that spot where somebody has helped me. I just know that the, the, the enemy can come in and pervert scripture and try to get us on this other side that says, I shouldn't have anything, I don't deserve anything, and therefore I don't want anything. That's not true. We still have needs and desires. We still have needs in our life. And the balance is a, a, a dear sister that was, we were actually working with this family when they were struggling. She was poor. And she said, Brother Mike, I give out of my lack. I just don't give all my lack away. I give out of my lack. And she explained to me the first time somebody actually taught me about tithing. I get a piece of income, I pay tithe on it, I pay my bills, and whatever's left over, I wait for the voice of God. I pay my tithe, I pay my bills, and if there's any left over, I listen for God. Now that ain't a lot, because sometimes I have $10 left over, sometimes I have 15. But if God says give five away, I give out of my lack. I'm just not giving all my lack away. So take care of your family. I was taught early on as well that when I came and became a Christian that you shouldn't, have, you shouldn't have anything. I graduated high school and my dear parents um, gave me a, a watch for graduation. Beautiful watch. Didn't even understand the, the beauty of it at the time. But they gave me this beautiful watch for graduation. Congratulations on the back of it. It was engraved. Make good use of your time. And that was my gift. And I became a Christian and I went to church and people were telling me I can't wear that. I can't wear the clothes I'm wearing. I can't have the shoes I have. You can't have any of this. You have to, and, and I believed it actually for a while. I said, well, I'll get, you can be more like Christ and you gotta be poor so you can minister to the poor. You know, and as a 19 year old and you're just trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian, some of this I believed. And so I put it, put my watch away and, you know, put my, my bell bottoms away. 
Cut your hair and learn to tie a tie. Get rid of the jewelry. And it was just a couple of years later, a new pastor came in. And he goes, what time is it? I said, I, I don't know. We didn't have iPhones. You know, you couldn't pull it out. And he goes, no, I heard uh, somebody told me that you'd, you'd kind of buried your watch. I said, well, it's in my drawer. I don't wear it because I think it would be offensive to some. He says, that's foolishness. Go put your watch back on. And I was like, oh, okay. He said, by not doing that, have you seen your parents since you graduated? And I told him the story. And I said, yeah. And he goes, and I said, and it brought great sorrow to them. They wanted to know what kind of cult I was in that would, <laughs> would do that, promote that. I mean, I was in, in fact, I was, I was dishonoring my mom and dad. And I thought that was the right thing to do. I will tell you, I put my watch back on. I wore it. I had it restored. I gave it to my son for his graduation. He wore it. He's having it restored. He's giving it to his son for graduation. Praise God. I love that. I don't have to disown God and I don't have to dishonor God. I can actually honor God in everything that I do. The challenge is this, and it's more of a prayer. God, give me the resources this should be on the slide. Give me the resources I need to meet the needs of me and my family. Let me honor you with what you give me and let me be generous to the poor. That's the challenge. That if we're on this other side in the extreme, Lord, let me be like Proverbs 30. Give me enough to meet my needs. Let me take care of, of my family the way I'm supposed to. I want to honor you with what you give me and give me a heart that will take care of the poor, even though I may be poor. I want to give out of my lack. Both of these extremes result in stunted Christian growth and robs us of the balance of God's blessing and protection. And folks, you heard it this morning in Pastor Carter's message. There is no outward appearance can make us more holy. There is nothing you can do that can make you more holy. It's not being poor or rich does not bring us closer to God or the evidence of his blessing is not in outward appearance. It's the cross of Christ, a transformed heart that will glorify Christ. That's the evidence of a heart that is turned toward God. Not what I wear, not where I live, not what I drive, or my lack of everything. This appearance of being, I want this so that I can minister to the poor or I don't deserve it. None of that matters. It's where are we, as a born-again Christian, are we living a transformed life that is bring, bringing glory to God, and in so doing, as a son of God, I can be led by the Spirit of God. I believe that. Thank you for that this morning, Pastor Carter. I believe that. Those who are the children of God will be led by the Spirit of God in your riches or your poverty. It doesn't matter. What matters to God is that your heart is before him. Which brings me to the final point. What is the balance? And you may have heard the term as well. It's called stewardship. Stewardship is a life of gratitude, worship, and obedience. It's saying, God, I recognize what you've given me. As little as it may be or as much as it may be. It's not a quantitative statement. It is simply saying, you have given me this opportunity, just like Moses said you would. 
You've given me this. Now I want it to be a life of gratitude. I want it to worship you and I want to obey. I want to obey what you told me to do. So point number one, give what you have been given to give to glorify Christ. Give what you've been given to give. And don't let the trap be sprung. Second Corinthians, the ninth chapter, verse 10 and 11. And I put this up here because it really, it, it helps understand what the stewardship life is about. Particularly it comes to money. Listen to this. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way. Don't pervert that. But you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Chew on that for a while. That he will provide the very seed you need that you sow. He'll provide your needs. He'll protect you. He'll give you his blessing and his provision so that you can do what with it? Be generous. So that you can turn around and be generous just the same way God has been generous to you and bless those that are in need and that results in them thanksgiving to God. God, thank you for meeting my need. Thank you for providing for me. You are simply a conduit. You are simply a tool that God gives you a tool to use. Money is a tool not to be worshiped. It is a tool. That's all it is. It's nothing more than a bartering system made current. Before currency was even around, how did people exchange what they did for something else of value? You traded your chickens for it. Your goats. You promised to do something in return for this. I remember the stories of my grandparents during the Great Depression. Nobody had any money. But they could work. They could pound lumber. They could plow a field. They could repair a fence. I'll come do this in exchange for food. I'll do this in exchange for this. I need medical care. I'll come and wax your floor if you'll give my, my children a physical. It was a bartering system. Currency today is nothing more than a glorified bartering system. You go to buy something, you give them this in return. That's, that's all it is. It's a tool and it's not to be worshipped. You use it, you don't serve it. You use it and you don't serve it. Thank God. Thank God. God owns it all. And he'll give it to you. God will give it to you. The seed for the sower and abundance to do. It's an attitude of well done, good and faithful servant. Because God will do it. So stewardship is gratitude and a life. Years ago, we were starting to understand a little bit about the laws of tithing. Didn't fully understand it. We just knew that we were supposed to do it. And so we had this little bit of an income. And it was a little bit of an income. Was, I think back then it was $1.65 an hour is what I made. It's like $70 a week. So the tithe was seven bucks. And our conversation with my wife and I went something like this. We got to give 10% of that away. And she goes, why not? We're not going to make it on $70 a week anyway. Why not try this? 
And I'd never heard, I'm, look, I wasn't raised as a Christian, so I didn't understand the, the laws of tithing and some 30, 60, 100 fold. That just, that killed a lot of brain cells to me <laughs> in trying to understand that. But I did understand, take what God has given you and give 10%. So we said, okay, we did. We had a little bit left over, we paid our bills. And we even had some leftovers, a smidgen. A smidgen, just a wee bit more than a skosh. But we had, a, we had a, a little bit left over, and we bought ice cream. And even after that, we had, we had some. And so over this, I don't know, three or four month period as newlyweds, we wound up with $100 in savings. $100. And you're making $1.65 an hour. And we're going, how is this possible? So we're in this meeting, and, and a minister is there. He's teaching us. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says, okay, you're doing well. You're paying your tithe. Now I'm going to teach you about offering. And I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> you've paid your tithe. You've paid your bill. Now I want you to give him $50. I'm like, what? <laughs> I leaned over to my wife and I said, I think I'm devil possessed. <laughs> this can't be God. We went back to our apartment and we prayed. We said, God, is this what you want us to do? And I'm really fighting it. And she goes, hey, it's $100. And he wants to give half of it away. What are we going to, even $100 is not going to take us very far, Jer. I love my wife for this. I knew it had to be God's voice because it was half our savings. I would not have come up with that. That would not have been my first thought. But we did. We gave the $50 after our tithe. But there was a sense of excitement. God, what are you going to do? But I can honestly tell you, folks, it was, I know that our heart at that point. We were scared to do that. But we know that the guy that was ministering to us needed it. And God, you said that if I did this, you would be generous. Not to me, but you'd be generous to him. A workman is worthy of his wage or worthy of his hire. And so we did. And folks, I'm telling you, within five years, we owned our own home. We had two vehicles. And we had a bunch of ice cream in the freezer. <laughs> and people we worked with were going, how is this possible? How is it possible? The guy was making $1.65 an hour, has, has now owns his own home, and we're, we're trying to support, and we're blessing ministry. I can't tell you how that works. Again, I don't have the brain cells to figure out, was it 30, 60, 100? Because that wasn't the goal. The goal was taking this one piece that he gave you, do this with it, and then take the next step. Take this and then take the next step and let God be God. Stewardship recognizes who the source is and it blocks spiritual amnesia. When you're a steward, and that's your prayer and that's your heart, Spiritual amnesia cannot set in because you won't forget the Lord. In fact, it acts responsibly 
It acts with joy and out of obedience. Deuteronomy 28, 12, it says, the Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and bless the works of your hands, and you will be generous. That was a promise. The works of your hands, the work of your hands. Do whatever he's given you to do with all your heart and all your might, and, and do it well. As an employer, do, do, do the right thing by your people. As an employee, give them a baker's dozen. Do what you're called to do and do it with everything you have. Do it with honor. Do it with the strength that God gives you. And he will open the heavens out of his bounty. And he'll bless the work of your hands and you will be generous. So here's my challenge. And I want to close with this. If you owe something to somebody... Repay it. There are some here I know that may have had, um, you may have borrowed something from somebody. Make an effort to repay. Have a conversation with them and, and follow up. Do a follow-up plan. That may take a phone call. It may take a text or an email, however you want to reach out. But go back to that person and say, we had a, you, you helped me and I, I need to repay that. I just believe that that's, Something that's, that's true. I've been counseling a few people that have done that and God has blessed. Pay off your credit card as quickly as possible. By the way, it's okay to have a credit card. It's what you do with in racking up all of this. It, it, the trap is that it's a, a mindset of, of buy now, pay later. I grew up under the layaway plan where we'd go down to, to Sears and Roebuck and put $5 in the layaway thing and, and, and then when it was paid for, then you got your new winter coat. It was called cash and carry. And if you did it right, you also got S&H green stamps. I was the liquor, by the way. Did your grandmother ever have S&H green stamps? Okay, I'm really dating myself. Pay off credit card as quick as you can. And just think about the 30 versus 3 rule. You know, I worked in banking for years and years, and the, the common thing is if you, if you accumulate credit card debt and just pay the minimum, it takes you 30 years to pay it off. Banks know that. And if you miss one payment, the interest rate goes from 12 to 29.9. You wound up taking, I counseled somebody last week, a $12,000 debt on their credit card. It'll take them 29 years to pay it off. $31,000 later on a $12,000 debt. Whereas if you take your minimum, add to it, and even talk to the bank, it's not uncommon that you can wipe out the debt in three years and save enormous amount of penalties and interest. So it's just called the 33 rule, 30 versus three rule. Do the math. If you cut out a mocha latte a day, you can do this. Because I asked the person, how much are you spending on, they, they were sitting there with a big, you know, brand coffee thing in the office. I said, how much are these? I don't know, $540, you know, $550. I said, do the math. If you do just one a day, that's, that's 30 days a week. That's $150 a month. That's $1,800 a year. Over that three-year period, it just starts racking up. So you can, you know, if you just kind of think about where you're spending it, you can pay this off quickly. Pay your tithe, pay your bills, and pay yourself. And this is my last point. Consider adopting the 10-10 rule. We've adopted this. This is what we've done. We pray God will let us continue 
And that is whatever we get, we pay our 10%, we pay our bills, and then we put 10% in savings. And then what's left over? Let the games begin. If God says give 50, give 50. If he says bless over here, that's tithes and offerings in action. And God will bless. Pay your tithe, pay your bills, pay yourself. Step out of the boat and believe God for a miracle. Would you stand? Praise God. I'm not saying you have to go to IHOP and get the Rudy Tootie fresh and fruity. But you'd be generous in your tips. You know, if you go down here to a local deli or whatever you do, they have a jar out there that says, thanks, give them, put it in. God who sees you will reward you because you're actually trying to help them. They're hardworking. They deserve it. Thank God. I would like to do a very quick altar call. I, I think that there are some people here that I, I believe this has, in some measure has ministered to you because we've been praying. I believe that we need practical steps to help us in this area. We need practical steps to help us get out from underneath some things that maybe we've um, allowed to come into our lives and God wants to set us free from it. I'd like to, to pray for those who just simply say, I want to have the right view and I don't want the extreme. I want to be a steward of what God has given me. I want to be a good steward. Help me to be a good steward. That may be the call of your heart. And teach me the principles of stewardship. Teach me the right principles. So if this is ministered to you and, and, and you just need somebody to pray with you and we want to stand with you, then would you come as the, as the worship team just did you know, a place for just a minute or so to say, God, I want to do the right thing. I want to be a steward. I want the heart of generosity that you give me irregardless of what I make as income. Let me see the miracle working things of God in, in my life. And when this begins to occur, the generosity of your heart has nothing to do with money. The generosity of your heart, God answers your prayers. People begin to pray for you. God begins to do things in your life and it'll be a miracle for you. Would you come? Just come quickly. We'd just like to pray with you. Let God redefine this in your life. Because indeed, it's about you, God, and your money. God cares about it. Some of you may be in a situation where you say, without you, I can make it. You may be in a desperate situation where you get daily phone calls from bill collectors or debt collectors, whatever the case may be. You're in a, in a situation that just seems difficult, but you can make it. We serve a miracle God, folks. If you just stand before the Lord and say, God, help me. What, what's my plan of action? What can I do? Be willing to learn these principles and put the principles into action. Pray over it. Just say, God, help me to do the right thing. When you, when you bless me to do the right thing. When you honor me, I want to honor you back. Will that be your prayer? Let's just pray together. And whatever is on your heart right now, just, just give it up to the Lord. This is, a real, this is a good day for you. This is a good day to stand in the presence of the Lord.
and let him bless you. Amen. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you, Lord. We, we pray that this teaching will go deep into their heart. Lord, it will take root and show the balance of principal stewardship. The good principles, Lord, of what you set aside in your word. And Lord, we're asking today specific plans for some that are at the altar today that need a miracle from the Holy Spirit. God, a miracle in their heart, a miracle in their heart that gives a, a sense of expectancy. Let faith arise in the hearts of your people today to believe you and to do what you called them to do, Lord. Those that may be here that need to make something right, let that happen today. Let it happen quickly so they can see your mercy and your goodness. Thank you for my brothers and sisters, God. Let joy be new strength for them. Let the promise of your word and the expectancy of your word come alive in their hearts even now. And I look forward to even hearing some testimony of what you've done. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.